Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Judith Finlayson. Judith is a journalist, writer, and best-selling author of numerous books ranging from women's history, cookbooks, as well as books about wellness and living a healthy life. Her most recent book, You Are What Your Grandparents Ate, What You Need to Know About Nutrition, Experience, Epigenetics, and the Origins of Chronic Disease. Now, this book draws upon the groundbreaking work of the late epidemiologist David Barker and his study of how a wide variety of chronic diseases we are afflicted with today are linked to lifestyle and factors such as stress, environmental toxins, and even, per the book's title, one's own grandparents' diet. Judith, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Success Insight podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Howard. Delighted to be here. Fantastic. Now, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, can you just kind of give us the 30,000-foot view of how we arrived, for how you arrived at this career of writing books, and especially this area of health and wellness, You Are What Your Grandparents Ate, is really just a fantastic book, and I was very fascinated with it. But if we can start just a little bit about your background. Well, I'm basically a writer. I'm a journalist. And I was a political speech writer for a number of years. And throughout that time, food and cooking was always my hobby. I used to say my kind of practice was that, you know, I'd work all day in my office doing these heavy-duty kind of intellectual assessments. And to relax, I'd come downstairs and go into the kitchen and cook. Food was very much my passion and my hobby. And one day, almost by chance, I had an opportunity to write a cookbook. So I thought, oh, well, that would be fun. It would be something new and different. It would build on what I've been doing for all these decades as a hobby. And I know enough about, or knew enough at that point about life coaching and so on to know that making a change and pursuing something different at that point in my life would probably be good for me. So I wrote a cookbook, and that cookbook did exceptionally well. That seemed to me to be an indication that I should probably write some more cookbooks. So I spent a number of years writing cookbooks, and being a bit of a nerd, that got me very interested in the whole idea of nutrition and food as medicine. Maybe five or six years ago, someone introduced me to the work of David Barker, who was a British epidemiologist, and he is really the father of a now very extensive body of research known as the Developmental Origins of Health and Disease. But at that point, he was kind of one of a very few number of voices crying in the wilderness. He was doing epidemiological research on Britain and was the author of something called The Atlas of Mortality, which really looked at death patterns across the British Isles. He began to see at that point things that 
were surprising to him. It's hard to believe now because we do feel that meat is very harmful, but we now it isn't. I mean, it's, it, as part of a very diet, it's fine. I don't want that to be what I, my final word on it. But we now really are emphasizing a lot of fruit and vegetables, which is very good. But what he was finding in, this was the 1970s, was that heart disease was more associated with the poorer areas of the country. And that went against conventional thinking, which in those days was really focused on the fact that heart disease was a disease of affluence, that it was linked from eating too much meat. He also found things like he could predict the rate of stroke by 70 years hence by looking at the maternal mortality rate 70 years earlier. This and other little things that he was turning up began to give him the idea that heart disease really was associated with something that was going on in pregnancy. But he didn't have any data. To try to make a long story short, he ended up getting the first body of data, which was a series of ledgers kept around the turn of the 20th century in a county of England known as Hertfordshire. And they were under the guidance of the chief inspector of midwives, a woman named Ethel Burnside, whom I would just have loved to have had the opportunity of meeting, who rode around England on her bicycle and organized a whole series of health workers who were under strict instructions to take detailed records of birth, when a baby was born, how much it weighed to go into the home to chart conditions in the home and so on and so forth. This information, I've actually seen these ledgers. Uh, They're kept at the University of Southampton in England, and they're fascinating because there's like something out of Charles Dickens, you know, little accounting book. And he was able to link low birth weight, which is 5.5 pounds or less, with a dramatically increased risk of heart disease as an adult. And that was the beginning of the whole science of the developmental origins of health and disease. He subsequently found other much more substantial bodies of data. The data from the Dutch hunger winter, which was a period in Holland when the Germans cut off food supply to the Netherlands and the people starved. So all of the women who were pregnant at that time were really a great laboratory experiment. And the Dutch, as you know, keep, are known for keeping very meticulous records. So he could use that body of research to expand his findings to show that poor nutrition during pregnancy also was linked with higher rates of obesity as an adult and type 2 diabetes as well as heart disease. And then he also hooked up with an epidemiologist in Finland where they have uh, huge, huge reserves of data. And they began to do many, many studies. Dr. Barker was considered to be a crackpot 
until about the year 2000. And by that time, he'd done enough reproducible research that people began to take him seriously, like major epidemiologists in the United States. And he was invited to speak, I believe in the year 2000, to the National Institute of Health, which people tell me is really the ultimate. It's like winning an Oscar. You know, it's it's interesting that uh, or a couple of things are coming through for me is one, you know, this man's life work is, is I don't know, for the sake of a better word, son of dismissed. And it's not until later in his life when all of a sudden, you know, the data catches up to the science that's available to, to kind of do some real time studying. And you realize there's something here. And it's funny, right around the 2000s, that's when the wheat belly diet or the ketogenic diet, the Mediterranean diet, all those started to come onto our consciousness. And it's really, it's it's fascinating. And it's, you know, when I was going through the book and I saw the piece on low birth weight and I was reminded that I was born back in, you know, the the 60s, two months early. And so uh, it's like, oh boy. So I won't place too much onto that other than I need to take care of myself better than I am. Thank you for that. Your book has helped me in that respect. How did this man's work begin to inform your writing and and what, what led up to wanting to write this book? You know, you are what your grandparents ate. Well, basically, when I discovered Dr. Barker, and he had written a book called Nutrition in the Womb, which somebody gave to me and I read, I was really interested in what he had to say and found it quite groundbreaking, which of course it was. But I started to ask people I knew, like my doctor, who is very well informed. And whenever I saw a health professional or a scientist or, you know, whatever, I would ask them about Dr. Barker and nobody had ever heard of him. Nobody really knew about his theories, which basically the basic message of which is you have to make sure that pregnant women are well nourished and they're just a zillion, zillion studies that now support that point of view. So that got me very interested in writing in writing about him, in making sure that ordinary people knew some of his ideas. Because as you say, once you kind of begin to understand the principles, you can take steps to take charge of your health. So around the year 2000, another area of science started to become popular, and that's epigenetics. So Dr. Barker was, and these are really tongue-twisting terms, an epidemiologist, who, which means who's somebody who studies disease patterns in large groups of people. And so that can tell you what is happening. That, for instance, can clearly establish that babies born with a low birth weight are at an increased risk for heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, a few other things. Epigenetics is an area of science that had been ticking away throughout the 20th century. 
And its power really became clear around the year 2000 with the publication of a very famous study known as the agouti mouse study. And the agouti mice were very or are uh, very pretty mice that are bred to be pets. And they started breeding them in the Victorian era. And they didn't realize that in breeding them to be beautiful, they were breeding for a mutant gene. What the Agouti mouse study showed, it took one of these very sickly pregnant mice who was, would probably die young and produce not very healthy offspring and fed them a certain group of nutrients, some B vitamins, choline, one or two other things that are known to improve an epigenetic process known as methylation. And by giving them these nutrients, not only did they improve the health of the mother mice, the offspring were healthy, and their offspring, that is the grandchildren of the original mice, were also healthy, and neither of the subsequent generations, i.e. the children or the grandchildren, were given supplements. So that showed that through good nutrition, you could change the epigenetic patterns. And I think maybe I should explain what epigenetics is. I think that'd be helpful. Thank you. Okay. Epigenetics is really over and above your genes, is the, is the technical term. Your genes are fixed. We know you're born with your genes and there's really not a lot you can do about it. But what epigenetics tells us is that your genes do not operate in a fixed environment. They operate in a very dynamic environment and their expression can be turned up and down. People liken it to turning up the volume on a radio, we're turning it down. And things that can improve gene expression are things like good nutrition, as we know from the Agouti Mouse study was among the first, exercise, lifestyle modifications like exercise, and things like body-mind practices like mindfulness or yoga. And these are, we're now just about the body-mind practices. This, this is new research that is just coming out. But we do know, because of epigenetics, that roughly only 5% of diseases can be really directly traced back to your genes. And that because of epigenetics, you can really take charge of your health. And by doing things like improving your diet or getting more exercise, you can positively affect gene expression and positively influence your health. What I love about this description, how you've described epigenetics, so, you know, as a coach, you know, I work with clients on, on leadership, career development, career transition, and oftentimes I'll use a behavioral tool, a personality tool, an instrument. And some of the instruments 
allude to the fact that we are hardwired to a certain extent, our personality. And then it's through the environment that we can then adapt or learn to adapt to the situations that we are in. And if we're having some difficulty, you know, we can learn perhaps some new behaviors, better listening skills, empathy skills to assist us in overcoming this deficit or this uh, issue that we are facing. And what I love about the epigenetics is our genes are what they are when we're born. That's what we get. But then through a combination of, as you were saying, nutrition, exercise, mind-body work, we can then influence our ability to overcome what we were born with, so to speak. And I love that. It's absolutely true. A lot of what we know about epigenetics and its positive effect, we know from studying identical twins. And as you know, identical twins have identical genomes. You would assume that if your genes were really the cause of disease, that identical twins would always die of the same condition. But in fact, they rarely do. And, you know, I I like to tell the story of a Finnish study of identical male twins who changed their exercise habits. And within three years, the twins of the group that were sedentary began to show worrisome symptoms like less stamina, a higher percentage of body fat, and indications of insulin resistance, which is linked with type 2 diabetes, as I'm sure you know. And also, their brains had less gray matter, particularly in the areas linked with motor skills and coordination. So that's three years, identical twins, very different results. Wow. And I have to say, you know, Judith, you are, when you, when you talk about in these examples, you are making me anxious. So I want you to know that I'm thinking of myself. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I sit at a desk and, you know, I work with my clients and I'm online and, you know, it, it would have been nice if I was on site and I know I'd be walking around, but, you know, I here, live here in Las Vegas and I have mountains and, and trails to go hike and I spend too much time at my desk. So it, it, I'm joking, but thank you very much for that. Let's talk a little bit more about the book now. And I love the way it's organized. You're, you know, you've got the home uh, section. You, uh, you've got, you're talking about pregnancy, nutrition, parenting, family, genes, health, aging. And I just, the way you've organized it. So talk a little bit more for our audience about the organization, because this book is a little bit for everybody, so to speak. Well, I tried to really take it through the life cycle, as it were. David Barker's work was very focused on pregnancy and nutrition, and there is no doubt that that is just an incredibly key area. That's what gets things off to a bad start. So if we just spent more time and more effort making sure that every pregnant woman ate a healthy diet, we would go a long way toward reducing the incidence of chronic disease later in life. And that would lower our healthcare costs as well. Oh, absolutely. It has that that's one of the things that really surprises me about this and why 
you know, society hasn't kind of grabbed onto it because healthcare costs are spiraling out of control. I know from the experts I talk to that they're concerned that the costs of treating heart disease are, are simply not sustainable if we continue on current trajectories. So, you know, getting a handle on it at the beginning, I I forget the figure, but I have a figure in my book of of a of economists who studied what a dollar invested in healthcare at the start are in proper nutrition would save something like $67 over the course of somebody's life. So that's a huge return in investment. Just to come back to going through the life cycle. So if we did that, we would have a huge impact on healthcare costs. If you move then, the first thousand days are really the most critical. And that's from the time of conception to the time a child turns two because that's when things like their immune systems and brains and their organs are still, many of their organs, certainly when they're in the womb, are still developing and are very plastic. So they are very, very susceptible to the impacts of things like good nutrition. Then I moved on to Certainly, teenagers, that's another very important uh, around puberty. Toxic exposure becomes particularly important for young boys around the time of puberty because that's when their sperm cells are forming. And there have been a number of studies that have linked toxic exposures around that time to things like grandsons who are more prone to being obese and subject to metabolic conditions because the impact of a toxic exposure can leave an epigenetic mark on the sperm cells, which then enters into the reproductive process if that sperm fertilizes an egg. So that's another thing we have to watch out for. Going on, then when you get to being an adult, we start seeing all of the chronic illnesses. That's when a lot of them start to manifest, like hypertension, like type 2 diabetes, like heart disease. So I went through all of those because many of those can be traced back to nutrition in the womb or to things like toxic exposures in the womb. And then I went into the diseases of aging, because that's another one. And, you know, the good news there is, boy, they show, for instance, that exercise is especially valuable for older people, and that they had more positive changes in negative gene patterns or epigenetic patterns than younger people. So, you know, there's there's really hope. And then I finished with the microbiome, which is a really interesting subject because we're just really starting to look at that in the last 10 years. And, you know, actually it wasn't Hippocrates who said all illnesses begin in the, in the gut, but whoever said it was absolutely right. The more we learn about gut health and keeping your gut healthy, the more we we understand how impactful it is. It's interesting you say that because I have been 
about, oh God, uh, I think we're probably going on three, maybe three years, is uh, I literally scared myself to death. No, scared myself considerably during the fall time frame, Judith. I am, I was, uh, I would say, addicted to peanut covered caramel apples during the fall. And, you know, in the, there's the farmer's markets and the stores, the grocery stores, we have these little three packs and I could sit down and eat a three pack of caramel apples. And I must've done so many of them. I, and I happen to have a blood sugar uh, device that I could test my blood sugar and it, it was skyrocketed and it just scared the living bejeebers out of me. And so then I went in, I started to do my research about high blood sugar, type diabetes, then I discovered the keto diet. I started reading about intermittent fasting. Then I discovered William Davis. And and and, and that tends to be where the direction I'm going right now with my diet. But, and I don't exercise not nearly enough, but you've given me hope. So thank you for that. But this whole idea about the gut, and because I, I, I firmly believe the gut is important to us well, for a couple of reasons is, when I'm about ready or a client is about ready to make a decision that perhaps they shouldn't make, you know, maybe it's to move from one state to the next or take a new job or, you know, they're being pitched to buy something that they really shouldn't buy. If we learn to listen to our gut, then I, I, we can potentially make the right decision because the gut versus the head, so to speak. So I appreciated your sentiments about the you know, the, the microbiome, especially in, in the gut. And it's an area that I'm focusing on now because I, I like to make my own yogurt. And I also know from Dr. Davis and his un, Wheat Belly on Doctored website that there's different types, there's ways to improve our gut biome. And I appreciated that you had a fair amount of content in your book about that. And I think, it, it, as you had said, there's more, you know, past couple of years, there's more information about that, but I, I definitely see that topic being more prominent. Do you see that as well? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 the hot topic in health right now. And and with reason, one of the things that good gut health does is that it, it is anti-inflammatory. And inflammation is one of the conditions or is the condition that is associated with most chronic illnesses. If you can get inflammation under control, you're really off to a good start. Right. With your gut, eating foods that, I mean, fiber is the easiest nutrient to get your head around. It's not quite fiber, it's other substances as well. But when the bacteria in your gut eat fiber, like the peanuts on your candied apples were not bad, <laughs> neither was the apple. Both of those things are actually very good for your gut. They're loaded with fiber and other substances that nurture the beneficial bacteria in your gut. And when those bacteria consume things like fiber, these foods are, are, are some of the substances in apples. They produce what are called metabolites. The best known of these is a short-chain fatty acid butyrate. 
And those are, among other benefits, extraordinarily anti-inflammatory. So they keep inflammation under control, which also helps to keep a variety of chronic illnesses at bay. It's a very oversimplified way of looking at it, but it's a good basis for a start. Sure. You know what I what I also liked about the book, and I appreciated it, and I love your, your thoughts on it. The only diet, well, I mean, you, you alluded to a couple diets, you know, ketogenic, the Mediterranean diet, but you didn't really say, well, this diet is better than any other. And, and I, I appreciated that. What I took away from the book, it, it's all about healthy eating. So good fruits and vegetables, not eating foods that are processed, filtered water, and, and as opposed to saying, well, you should do the any particular diet. And how, do some people come to you and read this book and expect the secret pill, so to speak? This book is not about the secret pill. It's about a lifestyle change. I mean, that's one of the things I took away from it. Yeah, absolutely. It's about a, a healthy lifestyle approach. I, you know, I, I mentioned the Mediterranean diet a lot because it's, it, but basically, the dietary approach is if you eat good whole foods, eat real food, like your, you know, your candied apple, the problem with your candied apple was the sugar, refined sugar. The peanuts were great. The apple was great. So it, it's basically whole foods. Eat a variety of foods because that gives you, it expands the range of nutrients and you want to make sure you're getting as many micronutrients as possible and make sure you get healthy fats, not refined oils. Just stay away from anything that's processed and make sure you get enough exercise you you say that you're i mean you're fortunate in that you can go into the mountains and walk and so on and you're also getting out in nature and all of these things i come back to the mediterranean diet because it's one that has been specifically studied in a way that shows that it improves gene expression which is at the heart of you are what your grandparents ate it's not rocket science Eating good whole foods and avoiding processed foods, getting the right amount of exercise, managing stress, being out in nature, getting some vitamin D from the sun, you know. Yes, you have me sold. You have me sold. So, Judith, in your work with this book, I mean, the book was published back in 2019. Uh, what has been the reception of this book? And also, how are you able to, I mean, last year was kind of a, a, an, an unusual year, but we could do things virtual. How are you sharing the message that, you know, in my, from my perspective, is very important and we, we need to do a better job of it. Uh, but how are you sharing the message of what you've provided in this book out to the public? Well, I'm talking to people like you, and we're now talking. Uh, <laughs> we're now talking virtually, not not face to face. I did do a eight or nine city book tour when the when the book came out, and fortunately, that was that was just before COVID. 
I did have a few things lined up speaking to various groups and so on that, that got canceled because of COVID. So I switched to doing virtual interviews and so on, and which are great. They're, you know, I'm still feeling I'm reaching quite a few people. I still am doing a lot of writing. I'm writing articles on things like various diseases and how they can be impacted by uh, good nutrition and exercise and so on. So I'm working away and I'm hopeful that the messages of the book are reaching people who need to hear them and slowly but surely. Very good. Now, I do have a a gotcha question and I know I said there wasn't going to be any gotcha questions, but this is an easy one. You know, you have quite a library of books that you've authored. And I, and I'm like you, as you described early on, I love to cook. I mean, that is a huge stressful relief for me. In fact, when I moved from Chicago to Las Vegas, one of the things I gave up is I had my cooking friends and we'd get together every couple of weeks and we'd have themes, you know, orange theme, green theme, battle basil or something like that. I made a great basil butter, by the way. Which recipe of yours, which book or are you most proud of? Like, you know, this is my go-to recipe. If I was going to, if you were going to leave me and our listeners a go-to recipe, what would that be? Oh, that is a gotcha question. That's kind of like asking a mother who's her favorite child. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I just, I just don't know. I, 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 I have many. I, I have, you know, I did a number of slow cooker books, and there's some great soups and stews in those. I make a mean beef stew. That's for sure. Okay, see, that's good. I love a good beef stew. That's good. Mm-hmm. I do uh, my Texas chili. I did a, a whole book on chili peppers because uh, I, a, I love chili peppers. And also, you know, they're very, very good for you. They are actually kind of a health food on their own. And I think the Texas chili in that book served with polenta or grits. Is a, is a really, really one of my favorites. Very good. Well, I will definitely have to check that out. And yeah, you know, I think yesterday when I roasted a boneless leg of lamb, I mean, it was wonderful. And I had rice cauliflower with green peppers, onions, and I actually made a cream sauce with heavy whipping cream and some Parmesan. So I was very happy. No grains at all. So I was doing my somewhat of a low carb bit. But in any case, You have me intrigued. I'm going to go check out the uh, Chili book. Judith, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on the Success Insight podcast. And definitely, you know, anytime we can provide some insights to our listeners, I I think we've done a, a job well done. And I think the information you've shared is absolutely wonderful. I do want to get information from you about where the best places for our listeners to learn more about you and your work. However, before we do that, this is a this is a minor gotcha question. Do you have a final? I'm sorry, um, it's my show. I get to do what I want. Uh, is there a final bit of insight that you would like to give our listeners before we, you know, close down today's show? Well, it just my my key message is is what we discussed. 
the the key to it's it's not rocket science. Eat good whole foods. Avoid processed foods. Get enough exercise. Practice stress management through things like mindfulness or yoga or you know whatever works for you. I'm not advocating any specific thing. And get out and enjoy nature. And those things have all been shown to change gene expression in a very positive way. And that will keep you healthy. Very good. We appreciate that. So, Judith, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? They can certainly find me on my website, which is judithfinlayson.com. The book is available at the usual outlets, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, major bookstores should have it as well. Uh, Although I guess not many people are actually shopping these days, except online. Right. So it's called You Are What Your Grandparents Ate. Fantastic. And I know you have a a Facebook page uh, presence there as well as on Twitter. So we will most certainly provide the backlinks to your website, judithfinlayson.com, Facebook, Twitter, and we'll provide a link to one or more of the online bookstores. So Judith, once again, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Success Insight podcast, some great information, and we wish you the very best. Thank you for having me, Howard. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Judith Finlayson. She is a journalist, writer, best-selling author of numerous books. You got to go out and get the one on the chili as well as the peppers. That's good. And we've just been chatting about her most recent book, You Are What Your Grandparents Ate, What You Need to Know About Nutrition, Experience, Epigenetics and the Origins of Chronic Disease. Really a fascinating book. And there is something in the book for everyone, whether you are a student, parent, you know, adult, aging, you're somebody like me that sits at the desk and, you know, I'm helping clients every day, but I sit at my desk doing it. Maybe I should have my client coaching sessions while I walk around the block. There's an idea. I think I might figure out how to do that. But we hope you found today's episode to be not only informative and entertaining, but also to give you some insight into some things you can do to have your healthier life. Okay? Do go out and visit uh, Judith's website at judithfinlayson.com. And again, we'll provide that backlink as well as to her social sites as well. Okay, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. And we will, oh, and do remember, practice social distancing, wear your mask, take care of yourselves and your family. We are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, so we can't let up being aware of our surroundings and, you know, who we're interacting with. So, you know, we definitely want to stay healthy. All right, folks, go out, have a great day. We'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.